This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Laracasts. Laracasts is the de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels. Whether you're new to Laravel or you're hoping to level up your dev team, Laracast was constructed entirely and exclusively for you. It's a lot like Netflix for your career. I think there's over 500 videos on there right now covering all sorts of topics from Laravel itself to different backend tools, front end frameworks like Vue.js and React, design patterns, how to get better at Git. There's something on there for everybody. So check it out if you have a chance at laracasts.com and thanks again to laracast for sponsoring full stack radio enjoy the show hey everyone welcome to another episode of the full stack radio podcast episode 37 to be precise i'm your host adam as always and today i'm here with the grumpy programmer chris arches how's it going chris it, it's going good adam how about yourself not too bad not too bad um for anyone who doesn't know you do you mind just introducing yourself sure so uh yeah grumpy programmer it's kind of a brand i've built around myself it parts of it may be exaggerated but a lot of it is actually the truth my name is chris harches i've been a web developer doing mostly php stuff since 1998 so that is a super long time um about halfway through my career i discovered the wonders of unit testing via a project that was a complete disaster and a lot of the problems would have probably not existed if we had understood how to write tests i mean of course this is like at the I don't know, the be- the beginning of the internet, it seems to me anyway, circa 2002, 2003, I discovered testing, and I've been talking about it and not shutting up about testing ever since. Awesome. Um, yeah, you actually just put out another uh, testing book, right? I think you've got three full-size kind of testing books out there now? Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. So two books already in the can, and then this third one, um, it's called Minimum Viable Tests. I guess we'll provide a note to it in the in your show notes um it's still kind of in beta the way kind of lean pub likes to do things it's not done i basically have three chapters left to do an introduction um a chapter on um data providers and fixtures and then a chapter on a much anticipated topic from everyone i've talked to is my views on monkey patching which is a beautiful thing that the ruby and i think python folks do to some extent but it's basically unheard of in php testing circles for a variety of reasons i'm going to talk about in that chapter but book's almost done uh we as as we record this it's the third of march um I usually spend my winters working on the books, and I aim to have them done done by my birthday, which is the 24th of March. So I have a couple other things I need to do first, and then I will plow through and try to finish those two chapters by the end of this month. Awesome. Yeah, um, the way I understand it, the the goal of that book, right, is just to kind of get somebody introduced into the world of testing and kind of get them started with like a decent set of tools and kind of uh, define the things that they need to know and kind of set them on the right path. Is that kind of the aim of this one? Yeah, I would say that's 100% accurate. I mean, I've uh, I've been paying attention to like problems people talk about where they're trying to get into testing. I tend I'm one of these people that does a lot of research before before I, I write my books. So I, I was kind of looking and paying attention and seeing what are people struggling to to figure out. And I would say this book is kind of a culmination of the stuff that I talked about in my in my first two books um, about that are about testing and then kind of listening to the pain points. And like, I thought about what could I do to, to make this process, um, easier. So I kind of collected a little bit of everything that I know and, and thought to myself, you know, to someone that's starting out, who has a vague idea about testing, but is, you know, okay with PHP itself, what is it that they need to know to get started? And so I've, I've had some other people, I know I sent you a very, very early, um, copy of the book, but a lot of that stuff has changed as well. And I've given copies to other people who I wanted them to do a little bit of technical editing and, and 
all the feedback I've gotten has been really, really good. And a lot of people have, who have looked at it have said they kind of appreciate the, um, the approach that I'm taking this time out where trying to stick with things in the real world, real world cold, code examples, and just kind of explaining everything that I'm doing in my own usual inimitable style. Awesome. Yeah. So something I think would be interesting to talk about maybe uh, that's related to that is just kind of like, what is the tool set that you recommend for someone who's first getting started with testing? You know, there's all these different choices between test double libraries or unit testing libraries or things that are meant for integration testing. And if you're going to recommend to someone somewhere to get started with kind of one kind of tool from each of these kind of different buckets, what are kind of your go-tos and why? Okay. And of course, keep in mind, I have a very PHP centric focus. Although yeah, yeah, I do, absolutely. Although, although I do uh, at, at the day job, because I work for Mozilla currently um, as a senior QA engineer doing stuff in cloud services, basically whatever kind of services Mozilla is running behind the scenes that talk to that Firefox needs to talk to. I'm on the team that makes sure all those things are tested and, and at least working correctly. Um, so for PHP, I would say uh, I recommend that people use PHP unit. It's the oldest tool. It's probably, it's the most mature. There's a really good ecosystem surrounding it. There's lots of extensions and add-ons that can help you um, accomplish different testing tasks. So PHP unit, solid tool. And I find the good thing about PHP unit is that if you need to branch out to do other types of testing, integration, um, uh, functional, whatever, PHP unit lets you do that. A lot of the other tools that I, that I see have a, have a focus on a specific kind of approach to testing. Um, and you're kind of limited when you need to break out of that PHP unit. It's like, yeah, man, whatever you want to do, um, I can help you with that. So for mocking uh, or test doubles, as they should correctly be referred to, I use mockery. I found the syntax for that kind of uh, flows nicer for me in my own brain. Um, you can still do pretty much everything, almost everything that mockery does with the built-in tools. And I know that uh, newer versions of PHP don't have prophecy uh, built into them. Uh, I've, I've fooled around with prophecy a, a tiny bit. I'm not a big fan of the syntax, but again, a lot of this stuff is like, you know, just syntactic sugar and whatever your own preferences are. At, at, at the bare minimum, I would tell people, pick one of these things and like anything else, learn it inside out. So that's basically PHP unit and mockery are the two tools I use the most. And um, and then I just bring in other things as I need them. I know that there's, uh, for the monkey patching chapter, um, I talk about using, I think it's patch kit. I haven't, I have a link to it somewhere. Um, that Mark story uh, recommended is the one that I'm going to take a look at if I want to explore monkey patching, but I, I do try to keep my tools pretty simple. I'm not a power user of anything really. Uh, I found that trying to become a power user and using like the weird and, and you know, hidden preferences or, or like really kind of tools that are pushing things on the edge. Um, it just leads to problems because then it becomes more and more difficult for people to duplicate what you've been doing, like stock PHP unit with mockery installed. That's basically what I use whenever I have to do anything PHP related. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think when you're choosing testing tools, you really have to take into account like what the rest of the community is using, even if like there's a tool that maybe you like a little bit better, but it only has like 1% adoption. You really have to take into account the fact that, you know, what's going to be maintained for the you know longest period of time. What are new developers coming onto the team going to be most familiar with and, you know, easy to get started with and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's a lot of interesting decisions that you have to make when it comes to that sort of tooling, I find. I, I agree, but one of the neater things now is with uh, Composer on the PHP side having such a, a huge level of adoption, um, most of the testing tools out there are now installable via um, Composer. So it's a lot easier to kind of have like a self-contained environment where all the tools that you that you are using 
are there available for anyone else who's trying to duplicate what you're doing? Because for me, that's always been the biggest problem when you're trying to use other people's stuff is trying to set up an environment identical to what they're using. And if they're using really weird, obscure versions of tools, the, the chance that it doesn't work with your particular setup just gets higher and higher and higher. And I always try to, I always try to avoid that sort of stuff by being very specific with my dependencies and, and telling people, yeah, if you want to use my stuff, you know, uh, grab this composer, uh, config file, do your composer install, and you'll be able to use all the same things I was using. Yeah, for sure. One thing that you said about, um, you know, one of the reasons why you choose PHP unit is because of the fact that it, it's kind of the most flexible tool out there, right? Like it doesn't really care how you want to write your code. It's going to give you whatever tools it can to let you do things however you want to do it, right? Um, mm. Compared to tools like uh, PHP spec is kind of probably the other, the other most popular unit testing library, I would say, in the PHP world. I don't know. Can you think of one that's more popular than that or does that sound about right to you? No, I think in terms of unit testing, you have PHP unit on the one side and PHP spec on the other side. They're they're both trying to approach it from the, uh, I mean, they're both focused on the unit level. So, yep. Yeah. And the thing that I, the kind of the major kind of philosophical difference between the two tools really is that PHP unit kind of puts all the onus on you as the developer to be responsible for writing good code because it's it's not trying to hold your hand or do anything to kind of encourage you to write code in a specific way. Whereas I find PHP spec is kind of designed to be used with a certain design approach. You know what I mean? How do you factor that in when you're making decisions about like what tools to use? What do you kind of think of that approach of a tool that's uh, really opinionated and and trying to kind of guide you down a certain path versus something that, uh, you know, kind of just lets you do whatever you need to do? Well, that's uh, that is a very interesting question. I think, I mean, all I can speak is for my own personal preferences and then we can go from there. I mean, I prefer tools that can give you for testing on the testing side of things um, as much flexibility as possible. Um, just simply because it's like anything else. I mean, you're a Rails user. I've done Rails stuff way in the distant past. I've done Django stuff. I've, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to like touch a whole wide variety of technologies, even though PHP has been the main focus for all these years, 18 years and counting. But I have I found for me personally, I want my testing tools to be as flexible as possible. But I don't mind you using frameworks and libraries that are super opinionated because it's more like I tend to evaluate in terms of what is the thing I'm trying to accomplish and what is the tool that's going to allow me to accomplish that the fastest. Now, one of the things I, I do like about PHP spec is the idea that if you're not so familiar with uh, testing like I am, it's I think it's actually a very big help for it to say, hey, I can do some, uh, I can create some skeletons for you of of the tests and of code. And in that way, it's a very interesting way to approach um, doing uh, things the TDD way, which is clearly what PHP spec is trying to help you with, right? It's the idea of that, okay, you create your test and it says, oh, I notice you don't have this object. You want me to create it for you? And then, yeah, it'll go and create the skeleton for you. And then you just go and fill things in. So, so if you're looking at it from a, a test-driven development perspective, I think something like PHP spec is really, really valuable uh, to people who aren't as familiar with the process as other more experienced developers might be. Because there'll be there will come a point where you'll likely feel kind of constrained by what PHP spec is trying to do for you. And you're like, I don't need this thing to automatically create skeletons for me. I don't need all this extra help. I'm at the point where I, I'm comfortable enough with the concepts and more importantly my own skill set that I can write the test 
and not need the safety blanket of the tool recommending that uh, making recommendations for me on on naming things and, and methods and stuff like that. So I mean, what one of the reasons why I wrote minimum viable tests was the idea that there was so much stuff I was forgetting all the time that I took for granted because it had just become normal and expected. And, and you know, I don't really need PHP specs help to write things the test-driven development way. I know to write the test first. I, I sit there and I plan things out. I write the test as if everything works. And then I'm okay with all these error messages from it telling me, hey, your object doesn't exist. And then, hey, this method doesn't exist. And then this result doesn't exist. And I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with doing that type of iterative work that um, test-driven development leads you to. But for PHP spec, when I saw that stuff, I'm like, I think this is really good for people that have never done it before. So their confidence level in committing to to using the tool to help drive the design process is really, really high. And that's, that's I, I've noticed in my discussions with people about testing, it always comes back to when you commit to TDD, it's really about you're using it as a, as a design tool. And you're just, you're focusing at a really, really low level. You're focusing at the individual units of code and saying, I want to design these things a specific way because TDD does really force you into an architecture that looks a certain way in terms of like interfaces and APIs and dependencies and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense to me. I th I feel like there's almost like a, like a gut reaction that different people have to different approaches just kind of based on your personality. Like with some people, the idea of like something being really strict and like enforcing that things are done a certain way kind of resonates with them and makes sense to them. And other people are kind of like repelled by that and they don't want to be like controlled by a tool. You know what I mean? And I feel like I find myself in that second camp uh, more often than not, which is one of the reasons that, you know, I, I use tools like PHP unit or mockery because I find like mockery is kind of the same thing in the, in the testable department. Like mockery lets you do a lot of things that are not really, um, best practices, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, definitely. definitely. <laughs> like you can do things like, um, so on the kind of lower controversial end are things like partial mocks, right? Where you can create a mock of an object to use in your test instead of the real object, but only replace like certain methods. Um, people would say that's a bad idea because you're, you know, you're stubbing the system under test or mocking the system under test or uh, replacing real code that you're actually trying to test. But there are like the odd situation where that is actually really helpful, especially um, I know even like the, the prophecy guys would, would even tell you if you're working with like a system that wasn't built with TDD or um, isn't designed in a way that's easy to test using those tools. Well, of course, a tool like mockery that's more flexible is, is going to be the better option because it's going to actually at least let you get some test coverage around this stuff before you start doing any refactoring or whatever that you need to do. But I have found situations where things like, you know, if I want to create a partial mock of an object just because it's got like a factory method on it or something like, like a common refactoring that I've seen people do, right, is you have um, an object where in its constructor, it's like newing up other objects that you maybe should have passed in as dependencies, right? And Correct. You yep. can you can create a partial mock of that object and test it without having to do all the refactoring to get the dependencies injected, like in all the other places in your system where you would need to pass those in by just moving the instantiation of that object to like a new method called like create foo or whatever the dependency is and stubbing out that method with a partial mock so you can at least get a test double in there to test with. So I do find like there's utility and stuff like that. And but a lot of people would say that it's bad for a tool to to let you do stuff like that because people will choose whatever the easiest way to do something is instead of thinking about 
um, the right way to do something necessarily. You know what I mean? I'm interested Absolutely. in just kind of hearing what your opinions are on that kind of idea in general. Okay. So I, I think you actually pointed out something that's, that's, I think is a very key part of my own philosophy when it comes to programming. Um, programming is hard, right? It's not easy. Um, but also it's the idea that sometimes, um, it's okay to do things like the partial mocks. I would say, like, if you look at say, if you can avoid a partial mock, that's a victory. But there are times where, like, look, I really need, I need a test for this, right? We need, we need some confidence in our code base. If we have to, it's, it's like the same thing around monkey patching. Is monkey patching um, ideal from a PHP perspective? Um, no. What, what would be perfect is nicely well designed code where everything like snaps together like Lego blocks and we can, uh, you know, easily identify our dependencies and we can create those outside of the system and inject them in at runtime for testing purposes. That's the perfect world. That's the one that I encourage people to try to get to. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I would, my own personal estimate would be like, I don't know, maybe 1% of the code out there is actually written. I mean, maybe that's too, maybe that's even too high. A tenth of a percent <laughs> of code is written the TDD way where, you know, people are writing the test first and then they write the code until all the tests pass. And when you see a code base like that, it's very obvious because all your dependencies are very explicit and it's easy to look at the test and say, oh, I understand exactly what's going on here. And all the dependencies are injected in at runtime or they're put into a container. You know, I know I have a little section in the book where we talk about um, dependency injection and containers and stuff. But uh, I mean, the problem is people want perfection and sometimes perfection isn't actually the goal. Sometimes you, you have to look at it in terms of like, how much time are you going to be spending uh, on these tests, especially with most people kind of end up, they have some code written first and then they go back and write the tests. Yeah. That's, that's really hard. And that's where tools like mockery's ability to do partial um, mocks on things is so powerful because it does let you kind of paper over your paper over what may have been an initial mistake. Uh, well, maybe mistake's the wrong word. Uh, initial um, suboptimal decision about how you wrote your code. It's like, yeah, sorry, I have news inside here. Uh, I, this code isn't dependency injection friendly. Look, these things happen. The goal is to have, if you want to write tests, then you do what it takes to write the test. And there are sometimes there is no, the return on investment for a test is, is so low, you might as well not even bother doing it. I always tell people going back and trying to get super high coverage of code after the fact is just a nightmare. And that I think, and that, that people are people who approach testing that way, perhaps their first, uh, you know, first big um, dive into testing is trying to go back and write tests for code that wasn't written with testing in mind is why testing gets such a bad rap and why so many people are really reluctant to do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like that touches on an interesting kind of higher level idea in general. That's like, I feel like sometimes we kind of lose sight of like the actual goal of what we're doing in a lot of things. Like when you're trying to get your test coverage high for the sake of getting your test coverage high because you want to know that your code is, you know, 100% tested or whatever, I feel like you've start you've kind of drifted away from the reason that people started testing their code in the first place. You know what I mean? Like there's this great quote by Kent Beck. I think it's even I think it's like in a Stack Overflow answer or something, um, where he says something like, you know, I do the least amount of testing that I need to do to be able to like go home on time and sleep comfortably at night, knowing that everything's going to work the way it needs to work. And he thinks that, you know, his threshold for how many tests he needs to feel that way is probably higher than most people. And I'm sure his systems are extremely well tested, but it's coming from that kind of that place where it's not about test coverage for the sake of test coverage. It's about test coverage for the sake of confidence that your code works, you know? 
Absolutely. You know, I, I think one of the more interesting things that come out of all my journeys into the testing stuff is, is that good testers are also good coders because that's it. One comes out of the other. You learn to identify what needs to be tested by having all this experience actually writing code and finding out what works, what doesn't work. And then when you're trying to write tests for, for, for code that was written already, you quickly discover all the little decisions that you made. They, they all pile up all the tiny bits of technical debt. You end up like looking at it and going, I have no idea how to easily create a test for this that will give me confidence that this somewhat complicated bit of code is behaving the way that I expect. I know when people ask me, you know, they have a legacy app, what do I recommend that they do? I always tell people, you know, you may have to go from from the end result backwards where you have to look at your application and say, okay, what's critical every time I, you know, every time the application gets a production push, what absolutely has to work? And then you just kind of work backwards from there. And then all your tests should be guided by, we need to have 100% confidence that the critical parts of our application are working um, as we expect them to work. And then over time, everything else ends up falling in line. I think it's, it's interesting that if you, if, if, if you have an application where test coverage is non-existent or really, really low, at some point you just say, okay, going forward, let's write tests only for new things and let's write tests when we find bugs. And then you end up with a, a test suite that is actually really, really good because it's covering problems that you had discovered. And then everything new gets written with the idea that we have to have a test to prove that this new thing is working the way that we expect it does. Yeah, I think that comes down to kind of a, a difference between, a lot of people would say that there's a difference between uh, tests that exists to prove that it's the system works, like regression tests, and tests that were written using like the TDD approach to sort of like sketch out your design. And, you know, the idea that TDD is about design, not about having regression coverage, and you're not necessarily going to get full regression coverage uh, using TDD. Some people are really extreme about this opinion where they see them as totally different things. I don't really know exactly how I feel about it, but I'd be interested to know like where you kind of land on that spectrum. Do you think there's a lot of overlap? Do you think about them as different activities or? I think of them as testing and that's at the highest level. That's, I look at there's tests. We're writing tests for the code. My own personal opinion is that if you're able to start off from the beginning or not too far into the life of the project and you're using TDD, uh, chances are any bugs that you that you encounter it, 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 actually let's wind it back a little bit okay so let's talk about this in terms of like you look at unit testing versus overall testing and and TDD specifically TDD says that you should always write your tests first mm -hmm. and you're designing everything up front and you're thinking and you're trying to think of all possible um, uh, usage for uh, an individual method on an individual object, because in PHP, of course, it's all objects, right? Yeah. All these testing tools work with objects. So the, the, the hope is that by concentrating at a super low level, you write code that's um, very defensive because you're testing for all these potential outcomes. What happens if I, uh, you know, pass in something that's null or I pass in an array when it's expecting a string and all these things where you're, you're trying to write code that's as defensive as possible and you're hopefully avoiding assumptions about how other people are going to be using your code. I tend to write, try to write things very, very defensive. I don't know where other developers fall on that scale, but I try to do things very defensive. So the, so the hope is that if you design the vast majority of your application this way, the only bugs you'll be left with are like really weird edge cases or really unexpected um, usage of the application that this code is part of. Yeah. So, if, so for me, I view that as a win because I already, I put my thought into how to design these things a long time ago. 
And by a long time ago, meaning like when I initially wrote it. So my brain is freed up to tackle these weird edge cases rather than worrying about if the, if the application as a whole works correctly. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think, um, I think some people have different styles when it comes to the TDD stuff. It sounds like you are a little bit more religious about, um, covering the edge cases when you're doing TDD, uh, more than I think a lot of people actually end up being. I feel like a mistake that sometimes people run into is, is focusing too much on the happy path when they're doing TDD and, you know, they get it green, they refactor and now their system is doing what they want in the situation that they're expecting. And now they move on to the next thing. So how do you figure out like what situations you need to test? Is it, is it just come down to trying to be creative and think about, you know, what are the different things that can happen here? Because of course it's not possible to cover every single permutation of every single parameter that you could ever pass in, right? That, that's just not feasible, but you have to kind of identify the kind of boundary cases and, and stuff like that. I don't know. What's your kind of thought process like when you're trying to figure out what these different scenarios are that you need to cover? I, I think in my case, it just, uh, it becomes just a specific mindset where uh, I understand what you're saying about the happy path. And yeah, I agree. A lot of people write tests assuming everything's perfect and they're not. I, I think of in terms of like, it's kind of hard to explain. It's, it's kind of like, I kind of know it when I see it. I kind of look at it and say, what are my desired outcomes? Usually when I'm, when I'm designing something using TDD, um, I look at it and say, what, like, what do I want this thing to do, right? What do I, what do I need to pass into it as dependencies? And what's the results that I need to get? I need look at it and say, is it Boolean? Great. Then let's make sure we figure out tests that would trigger, um, uh, you know, true or false. But when we get other type of responses, it gets kind of tricky. And again, because I, th- I tend to write really defensive code, uh, I do spend a lot of time, you know, doing things like sanitizing inputs as they come in. I write, I write that as just part of doing the work. I do things like I, I, you know, I, I know you're not a big fan of type hinting, but, <laughs> but I look at it in terms of like, you know, I want to make sure if I'm expecting an integer and a string as dependencies, while I'm writing code that's going to either return false or if this or if this particular application um, is relying on exceptions to bubble up, I'm going to throw an exception if things aren't the way that I want them to be. And my personal experience has been that writing code in a very defensive way actually reduces um, a lot of the tests that I have to do because I can just do tests like uh, I'll verify that, yeah, is it throwing an exception if I pass a parameter that's not expecting? I look at that and think with big confidence. I'm confident that by covering a few of those scenarios, this code will actually work um, the way that I expect. It will reject weird inputs because if I make sure that I'm getting all the inputs that I expect, then the output stuff will take care of itself. I mean, that's just kind of how I approach it. I, I think it's just... If you look at programming in terms of eras, right? I cover a very long era. I start off in the late 90s. The web wasn't nearly as popular as it is now. The, there weren't nearly as many um, frameworks available for people to do. So you had to write a lot of this stuff yourself. Um, sanitation, input filtering, uh, escaping output. None of those things existed in a nice, easy to install form. So I ended up having to write a lot of that stuff myself. So over time, my brain just said, when you're writing code that takes inputs, it's just, for me, it's just second nature to try to sanitize those inputs in my code as I write it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. I think the place where maybe we differ or maybe we still feel the same way, but I think it's interesting to point out is I try and think of like, I'm really careful about being defensive about input 
that I can't trust. You know what I mean? If you have like a function that the only input it's ever going to receive is coming from trusted sources, like other parts of your code that I've already sanitized, like the input when it comes from the database or from the user or whatever, I, I think I'm a little less defensive in situations like that. Do you have opinions on that in general? Are you kind of defensive everywhere or do you kind of think about kind of the difference between those two places or do you think it's it's not as simple as that like it's kind of hard to know maybe when you need to be defensive and when you don't or i i well yeah we're covering a whole bunch of things here i think i mean i prefer to be very defensive but that's just born i think that's just because of my own personal experiences in programming having worked with so many different code bases of of varying degrees of quality to me, it became the idea that I, I felt like, in many cases, I just couldn't trust anything. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't count on uh, other developers uh, using my code the same way I would use it, or using or or uh, a su- subsystem using it the same way that I would expect. So for me, it was just peace of mind. It was like, let's just assume that the person who's going to use is going to try to use this is going to try to mess everything up as much as they can. So by making it very explicit, by telling them throw an exception, you have the wrong parameters. Throwing exceptions, even with database stuff not trusting that it's correct. I think it's also because I learned to program that way because of my work with testing, where you're writing tests and you're creating doubles. If we talk about schools of testing, which I think is a ludicrous notion, but I guess people want to divide people into camps so they can criticize them for their particular <laughs> beliefs. But you have the, I guess, what is it? The London versus Chicago school of of uh, test doubles. I believe the London folks are the ones that believe in, in mocking as many things um, as possible. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in the in very liberal use of, of test doubles. So in terms of like learning to filter things, I, I just learned to do it because I needed to protect myself from myself by being very strict. If I, if I create a test double and it's configured in a stupid way, that's not actually the thing that I wanted to do. Um, because I was very defensive with my code, right away the code goes, hey, bro, this isn't what you, you're, you're not passing me the thing that I need. And I'll go like, what the hell? And then I go back and look, oh, yes, I used the wrong thing. I, I you know, uh, mocked out the wrong method or I'm giving it an incorrect response or, oh, this thing isn't actually behaving the way that I expected it to. So, I, I, I mean, I know people like certainty. And I'm like, when you come to testing stuff and writing code, there aren't a lot of certainties. So I just prefer to err on the side of being, when I have the chance to, to be really overcautious and just like, I want, I'm trying to create that happy path and I'm forcing them down that happy path by being really defensive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I think there are definitely advantages to working that way, right? Like the ones I can think of off the top of my head are, first of all, obviously the most important one is, especially at user interface boundaries and stuff like that, you have to be careful that someone can't pass in some sort of data that's going to cause ill effects to the system. You know what I mean? That's the whole, you know, Bobby drop tables or whatever joke, you yeah. know what I mean? That whole yep. thing. And the, the other advantage, I guess, is in, in situations where you can't really do anything about that or in situations where, you know, when input comes in, you can't necessarily convert it to something that you need to for the system to work or whatever, rather than just failing with some cryptic error because some bad data got in and something's going to break somewhere. You just don't know when it's going to break. The earlier you catch it, the more kind of descriptive you can be with your error messaging and helping people kind of debug and stuff like that for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just, I I have found for me personally over my career, focusing on a very defensive style of programming um, has worked and led to a lot of um, stability in the stuff that I, that I create. I'm not always happy. I mean, people who know me, actually, maybe people who follow me on Twitter don't actually know this, but I do actually have like really high standards for myself on the work that I do. And it always grinds me down when I, when I do stuff to a substandard way. Once uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm often not happy with the work that I produce. And it's just that drive to 
be happy with the stuff that I've done. Don't set a, set a certain level and just always try to hit that standard. And for me, it's always TDD combined with some defensive programming usually results um, in code that I'm happy with and behaves the way that you expect. And very rarely do you have to go back and fix a bug because that's kind of the whole goal. I mean, I've talked about it at length in my conference talks about a lot of a lot of the, the testing advice that I give is all about shifting the cost of finding and fixing bugs from the super expensive end, which is in production when uh, everyone goes out of their mind trying to fix a bug where the whole company is literally running around trying to fix a problem <laughs> to, the, to the cheapest part of the of the development cycle where it's just one developer with their uh, IDE or editor of choice open um, writing code. The idea is like learn techniques that shift all the cost of these bugs of, fix, of finding them and fixing them and verifying they no longer exist to the cheapest part, which is usually initial development. Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember in college, we had like a, a software quality course and I distinctively remember a graph that they showed on the projector that was kind of showing the cost of fixing defects in a system over time. And it's like exponentially higher the longer you kind of wait to fix the problem because it's leaked into other places and it's going to involve more people and block more people's work and, and, and all these issues. So the faster you can fix that stuff, the better. And, you know, of course, workflows like TDD are kind of the ultimate way to kind of try and guarantee that. Right. Um, definitely. I mean, uh, when I, uh, I mean, you talk about seeing the slides. I can't even remember where I learned, where I ran across this idea, or maybe it just occurred to me when I was sin, sitting down and thinking about watching code go from figuring out like a workflow, right? Where it goes from the developer to QA and then to staging and then to pre-production and then into production, sitting down and thinking about, well, you know, what's, what's the real cost in terms of like time and resources when a bug is found at one of these different stages? And so I've had good success with people um, taking that idea and, you know, presenting it to their bosses or their owners, the management, whatever, showing them, you know, making them understand. Because most business owners are probably going to look at it and say, I don't understand the value of tests. Why can't the developers write code that's uh, good the first time? I mean, as you know, there's a variety of reasons why it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And how bugs happen and, and you know, uh, assumptions change in the middle of development, whatever. But if you can frame it in terms of money, they quickly understand uh, only the most, I always tell people, only the most uh, heartless and or clueless person doesn't get the idea of it will cost us less if you let me find the bugs at this point rather than uh, letting our customers find them. Because, you know, if you look at it in terms of like X, you go, it costs X for development, 2X for staging, I don't know, 4X if the bug gets found in, in pre-production. It could be 100X, 1000X. It could be literally destroys your company type of bug if it makes it into production. So uh, like making people understand that, making non-technical people understand that is also a big part of what I try to do, of trying to give people tools if they are in the unfortunate position of having to convince other people to let them do TDD style work giving them ammunition to show them it will cost us less if you let me do this. Yeah. I've had people ask me that question a lot. Like how can I get my manager or whatever to, to let me write tests or how do I get permission to write tests because it's going to take more time and, and stuff like that. Do you have any other advice for people in that situation aside from just the kind of cost analysis? Well, I think the mistake, and I talked to somebody about this on Twitter the other day, I think the mistake is actually trying to separate that out and say, I have the development time and then I have the testing time. I think you have a lot of great success if you just say, okay, I'm going to do tests as just part 
of my regular development work. If you wait to ask permission, it's probably already too late. And I think that's a classic mistake because people are like, well, my clients aren't paying me to test. I'm like, well, they're paying you to build this feature for them if we look at client work. Yeah. It's like testing is just part of the work that I do. And um, and so I think that's just the mistake when you try to separate it out and you're trying to show people, well, I'm going to write this, I'm going to test it. Like, no, 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 I'm going to build. You, you shift the conversation away from from I'm, I'm writing code and then I'm testing. It's like, no, I'm building this thing for you. And these tests that, are, that I'm writing are just part of the building process. I think a very interesting thing that people should take a look at is watch people who claim that they don't do testing, right? You will find what they're actually doing is that they are writing tests. They're just throwing them away when they're done, <laughs> right? I've seen that quote yep. elsewhere, but I, but I think that is, I think that really, uh, I think it's really, really true. And all TDD is saying, instead of throwing those tests away, those informal scripts, um, you know, whatever weird things that people do to try to fool themselves into into the idea that I'm not actually writing tests, just keep those things. Yeah. Um keep them around because they actually have value. So you're you're just you're 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 writing tests to you know to verify I mean verify things. I mean uh, if we want to be absolutely honest, even just putting like a var dump or a print r inside your PHP code, uh, I hate to break this to some people but you are actually testing your code by doing that. <laughs> but the idea is like, there are better ways to do the var dump and the print are uh, using tools like PHP unit and other things. You're just moving those things away from being kind of ephemeral and temporary to being permanent. And then over time, you know, you just get into the second nature of, of you have all these things and you use these things and you keep them around. So that the next time you have to take a look at this code, you don't have to say to yourself, how does this thing work again? It's like, no, no, cause somebody else, and hopefully it was you figured out how to make that work. Yeah, that's true. You'll see, you know, constantly if someone's trying to test some feature, especially in like a web application. Now, just to test like something that you could have written in a pretty short PHP unit test, someone's going to you know, boot up the browser, log in with an account, go to this page, enter this information, hit save, go to a different page and make sure that it showed up correctly or or whatever. Right. Just to test like something that's really only a, a much smaller sliver of functionality. Um, it's pretty funny to think about the fact that like you're probably spending more time testing now when you don't think you're that you're writing tests than you would be if you actually wrote tests that you could, you know, automatically repeat on the command line with a single keystroke. Uh, people are terrible at actually tracking how much time they actually spend doing things. I mean, uh, I'm a, I talk about kind of time management stuff all the time. And even I am sometimes shocked if I actually decide to sit down and track how long it took me to do something. But you're absolutely right. People are doing informal testing all the time. Uh, you can't, it's, it's almost impossible unless you have like a really super test suite with ridiculous coverage to fix things and implement, uh, new features without actually checking them in the browser. If you're talking about web app, I mean, I can, uh, I can relate a, a fun story about a couple of years ago, I was working for, um, Kaplan learning systems, which is like online education. Mm -hmm. And so they I had a super high level commitment to testing and they had a test suite that was really, really good. And they were also very, very good at defining the work that needed to be done. I implemented several features without ever having to actually open up the application. Why? Because the test suite was there. We had good specs. I could write code, run all the tests, everything passed, feature worked as expected. I mean, I remember my boss going, how did you test that without actually having a login and password? I'm like, uh, our 98% coverage test suite did most of the work for me. It was, uh, it was for me personally, it was also a very eye opening experience to know that I could add new things and, and fix bugs 
without ever actually touching the application. And that meant was a whole bunch of time I saved of not having to do that exact thing that you talked about. Fire up the browser, log in as a known user, go to this one page, enter some value in there, save it, go to another part of the application, verify that that um, value showed up there. I mean, people, I, I think, if there's one thing I want people to understand, is like, you're already probably doing a lot of testing already, you just need to move that to when you're actually writing the code instead of after you've done all the code already. For sure. I actually remember a client project uh, maybe two years ago, it was the first time that I ever tried to kind of like religiously TDD a, a project from scratch and make sure that no code ever got written that didn't have a test written first for it. And I remember we worked on it for about two weeks, uh, writing all our tests first, doing all this stuff. And then, you know, about two weeks into the project, this was like a JSON API that we were building. It, it only then occurred to us like, Hey, have we ever like actually tried to hit an endpoint on this, like with some sort of rest <laughs> client or anything? No, I guess not. Well, let's try it out. And, and of course it worked exactly the way we expected because we had been doing all that stuff, but we were just doing it in an automated way without ever having to pull up, you know, some browser extension that does it for you or whatever. And, and when you run into uh, situations like that, it's a, it's a pretty magical and powerful feeling to realize what you can accomplish, you know, even to just spend like a one single day writing code and never having to open the browser and knowing that everything that you did worked, like that's pretty cool. Sweet, sweet vindication. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, um, I think that's maybe a good place to uh, start wrapping it up. Is there any other topics or anything that you wanted to uh, get into before we get going? Or anything that you want to plug or anything like that? Yeah, you can view all the kind of uh, content that I produce. And I really dislike the word content, but that's it is what it is. Uh, you can go to my website, uh, grumpy-learning.com. I've got links to my various books, uh, screencasts. Um, you can sign up for a newsletter that I that I send out roughly once every uh, two weeks. Uh, you know, all everything that I do that's testing related tends to go up there uh, in all one uh, neat little place. My latest book, Minimum Viable Tests, it's in beta, so I kind of did a soft launch of it already. But if you go to LeanPub, uh, so leanpub.com/slash/minimumviabletests, all one word, you'll find the book. Um, the beauty of the LeanPub system is that you know you can pay now and get what I've worked on so far, and as uh, updates happen, new content gets added. Um, you know, I have an awesome editor who's already gave me a pull request with a whole bunch of uh, grammar fixes. All the new content that shows up, people will get at no additional cost. So, and as always, if you want to be entertained, you can follow me on Twitter, um, Grumpy Programmer without the U. Uh, the interesting story about that was when I rebranded myself, um, I found out that I didn't know this, but Twitter actually had a limit to how long they would uh, allow Twitter handles to be. It used to be it used to be longer, but I think when I switched over, they had just changed it. So I was grumpy without the U, which I'm sure made you even grumpier. It certainly did. Uh, some <laughs> other things that some other things I do as well is I do uh, a podcast, uh, not quite as good as this one, a very different focus. Mine is more a comedy podcast <laughs> as opposed to Adam Serious one um, called um, Development Hell Dev Hell Info. If you want to check it out, myself and Ed Finkler, uh, we're actually on a pretty good schedule this year, cranking out two episodes a month um as we lurch towards 100 and then we're going to decide when we hit 100 if we want to keep doing it awesome well it's been a uh, pleasure having you on it's always fun to chat with you about this stuff yeah we're constantly sniping at each other on twitter so it's always fun to get in person i just regret that today i wasn't able to actually drive over to your place because uh, listeners might not know we don't live that far away from each other so yeah i, I joked about it. i should just come over and we can do it in person <laughs> but but yeah. either way it's good to talk to you right on cool man well thanks so much for coming on and giving me your time if uh, anybody is interested in checking out the show notes for this episode they're going to be at fullstackradio.com slash 37 uh, if you can rate and review the 
show on iTunes. That's always helpful for getting us more exposure to more people and kind of keeping us high in the rankings. Uh, if you have any feedback, uh, you can comment on the episode on fullstackradio.com or shoot me an email. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again to uh, Laracasts for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. As always, lots of great testing material on there too if you'd like to learn more about this stuff. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye.